Our text is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, or chapter 1, verse 5, should I say. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 5 through 7 is our text uh, for today. Uh, so I speak on a recipe for revival. Now, as you know, we have OCA here. Just uh, see a lot of things going on. Many of you are praying for OCA. We appreciate that. Uh, Thought you'd enjoy this one little story, though. One of our lower elementary teachers was at the playground and noticed one of the little boys was making faces, those ugly faces they make at other little boys and usually at little girls, but they're making those faces, you know. So the teacher, being sweet as she could be about it, and yet uh, gently kind of rebuking him, she, she said, uh, Bobby, now... When I was little, I was told that if I kept making faces like that, my face would freeze that way. And Bobby looked at her and says, well, you can't say you weren't warned then, can you? <laughs> He'll be getting out of detention next month. Um, okay, let's read verses 5 through 7 here of chapter 1 of Second Peter. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly love, uh, to uh, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. And, well, let's just read the next verse anyway. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, <clears throat> before we go to prayer, I just want to say this. Your salvation has been completely, in its entirety, paid for. It, it's paid for. You cannot do any work that will add to paying for your salvation. There's not one person in this auditorium that can do that. There's not one person under the sound of my voice can do that. And the only person in the history that could do that was Jesus Christ. And he did it all for your salvation, for my salvation. Jesus paid it all. Okay, so there's nothing that we can do that would save our soul. However, to receive that salvation, the first step is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we do have a responsibility in salvation, not the work, not the payment, not any of that, but rather to accept it by faith. Accepting it by faith is the first step of salvation. That's the only step as far as being saved. Once I receive salvation by faith, I'm saved. But life doesn't end there. Okay? Our life on earth doesn't end there. Now, as his children, he gives us things to add to that, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So having said that, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started today. Now, Father, I thank you that Jesus did pay it all. I thank you that you allowed a way for us to be able to one day say, heaven is my home. And it would happen that day, it started that day, we could receive Christ as our Savior. Thank you for what he's done for us. Now, if there's one under the sound of my voice today that does not know that if they died today, that heaven's our home, 
I pray that today would be the day they receive Christ as Savior. If there's one that has wandered far from you, I pray that today would be the day they come. Come home and get things back right with you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I said, <coughs> excuse me, salvation is received by faith. Based on the payment in full for all sin for all time by Jesus Christ. Ours is to receive him as Lord, God, and Savior. Now, all sin that you or I ever have or ever will commit has been paid for. However, John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We have to receive it. We receive it by faith. In receiving that by faith, we're taking God and his word that if you come to him, he'll in no wise cast you out. We take God as his word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We take God at his word when he says, and the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Okay. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, what are all those scriptures about? <coughs> I knew Gary left something up here, okay? But you say, what are all those scriptures about? Well, those scriptures are simply about this. Jesus is the only way of salvation. He's paid the penalty. He's done it all. You receive it by faith. I like the way Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verses uh, 9 and 10 said. It says it this way, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. See, he was God in heaven. You read Isaiah, you see that throne that's high and lifted up. And, and, and the angels bow before it. And you see that also in Ezekiel chapter 1. And you see, you realize that that one sitting on the throne from the loins downward, from the loins upward, he was as with a cloak of fire. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. And he left all that great glory to come and to pay the penalty for our sin. Oh, what a Savior. And so, he left that to taste death. It says, and it says uh, he left the suffering. Uh, let me say that again. He has made uh, a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. You know what every man means? This is really difficult. Every man, every person, okay? Everyone. Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. Now, you either call him a liar or you don't. I believe he tells the truth every time. He says, thy word is truth. And Jesus called the way and the truth. So, therefore... Uh, there's no contradiction. And every man, he tasted death for them, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvations perfect through suffering. Now understand, it says there, by whom are, are all things and for whom are all things. Remember, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 Everything was created for his pleasure. His pleasure. All things created by him. What about the wicked? Now, again, 
God does not lie. He does not lie. So he says, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If there is no pleasure in the death of the wicked and all things were created for his pleasure, then that seems to tell me that it wasn't God's will for them to go to hell, but rather the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he came to this earth and took on flesh to pay the way. Now, you can do your good works. All your good works will do is burn with you in hell. Jesus Christ paid your way. You've got to humble yourself and just say, look, I am a sinner. I need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. That's the only way you're going to go to heaven. There's no other way to go. Now, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Now, after we're saved, our first responsibility in getting saved was faith. That's what we do. We believe him, and we take him at his word. Faith is not the statement of doctrine. The Bible says in the book of James that the devils believe and tremble, but the devils are going to be burning in that eternal lake of fire. Faith is believing something and then acting on that belief. You can have a statement of doctrine and not act on it. You believe the statement of doctrine, but you don't act on it. Believing the statement of doctrine is only a statement of doctrine. It does not become faith till we act upon it. For example, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that uh, one day we're going to see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a great promise, isn't it? One day that rapture will take place, we'll be caught up to be with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and we will be like him. But, The next verse says, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now, the doctrine we believe that Jesus will rapture and will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But faith is to begin to purify yourself. To separate from this world and to be separated unto God. And until we do that, then uh, we only have a statement, but we don't have faith. Well, when we act and we call upon the Lord to save us, that's faith. After that, purifying ourselves and things of that nature, that's where we begin to work on those things. Uh, The last time we looked at this passage, we were looking at, add to your faith, virtue. That is a personal responsibility. My personal responsibility was to call upon the Lord for my salvation, trusting Him. The next personal responsibility is to add to my faith virtue. Virtue is moral excellence. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. How do you transform? Transformation takes place in the side and it works its way out. That's what the word means. A metamorpho, metamorphosis is, is the word. And so, when you receive Christ as your Savior, you, know, you, you turn and you're no longer conformed to the world. Why? Because... 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So in Jesus Christ, all things become new. In Jesus Christ, you now have an opportunity to begin to build. Now, it's up to you to build upon that, what he's given. He's given you his word. He's given you his Holy Ghost. You can build because now you have something to work with. See, in yourself, you don't have that to work with. But in Christ, you have it all to work with. You have the Word of God. You have the Holy Ghost dwelling in you. And now you can begin to build. Add to your faith that moral excellence. That is virtue. First Peter 1, 14 through 16. When you just, just the, next, uh, the book before this book. But he says there, uh, as obedient children, not fashioning yourself. You know what fashioning means? To emulate. It's not emulating, not fashioning yourselves to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for the Lord our God is holy. He's holy. So again, that is a responsibility. That's part of our virtue. That's part of moral excellence. We have to have it in our heart. We have to have it in our mind. However, we live in a world that's very fleshly, very immoral, a very vile society with little to no restraint on its lust and evil desires. And there is no generation, now don't miss this, there is no generation but ours that can evangelize the present generation. Apostle Paul was a great missionary preacher. He was a great evangelist, planted many churches. He cannot evangelize the present generation. We have to do that. We can't depend on the people that we know. We, I, I think of the great men of God, the John R. Rice's, the, the, the Jack Howes, the Lee Robertsons, and on down we could go talking about these great men of God. They, they can't do a thing for this present generation. They're gone. We are the ones that are called now uh, to bring this generation, to bring the gospel to Christ, my friend. And that won't happen without the power of God. And when these things are not added to our lives, we lack the power to bring this generation to Christ. The problem with that is that that generation that is lost may include your family members, your loved ones, friends, people you know and rub elbows with each and every day. So, have virtue, but add to that virtue, knowledge, we're told next in our text. This is understanding. This is perception of the Bible truth and the discernment it gives. Now, you're not going to get that just one reading. Uh, a lot of these teachers, that uh, Sunday school teachers have been doing the Sunday school lessons, told them, boy, I didn't realize this, didn't realize that, and things like that. And look, I feel like the biggest dummy here because I read the Bible through at least once every year. And doing that, I see things that I didn't see the other 49 or 50 times I read it through. And I'm saying... How did I miss that? That is so good, and that's, that's standing out there. I mean, that's just like on a white paper and a great big red apple. How in the world did I miss that? 
But you see, as we read the Bible, the Spirit of God reveals to us things, but that also gives us a responsibility to act upon those things, you see. But uh, we have this here then uh, to the discerning of Bible truth comes from the Holy Ghost. Now, he has teachers for the church. He has people he's put in place in your life that edify. But understand, the Holy Ghost is the one that must work through those teachers. And it's the Holy Ghost that gives you understanding. One of my prayers that I pray every week, about every day, is that the Lord would be the power in my voice that holds your attention, but also would be the very power that takes that message home to your heart and helps you to understand it. Because if you don't understand it, then this time is wasted. I'm here only as a messenger. This is actually something that God has for you that he just wants me to deliver to you. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand that very much because it's very important. And so we have to grow. We need to grow in the knowledge of God's word. And what about the knowledge of God's word? What can we say about the knowledge of God's word? Well, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, we read this. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. I find that, under, uh, him, that statement there, dull of hearing. The Holy Ghost gives Paul these words to write to the Hebrews. We read in 1 Corinthians that he spoke in not words of enticing words of man's wisdom. His presence didn't seem very strong. And yet God was able to use the words because he was preaching God's word to do great things. But now he says, you were dull of hearing. It's not that he was a bad preacher, a bad speaker, or not able to hold people's attention. It's that people were dull of hearing. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't meditate on what was being taught or said. As a matter of fact, we find out in Acts 17, 11, that those people at Thessalonica were more, uh, at Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures to see if those things that Paul, that Barnabas, that, that Silas, and those other men were preaching, they're to see if those things were so. Now, those are great men of God, but they searched the scriptures to make things, make sure that what they were preaching was so. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. So, <clears throat> he says, for when time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, what be the first, uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And ye have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Again, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere, the true, the honest milk of God's word. Okay? The milk of the word. Now, these people have been saved that he's written to. You need to get past milk. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about uh, some great doctrines of baptism and so forth. But the, it also says you need to go on. Those great doctors not say, well, those, forget them. No, he's just saying, you know that now. You need to grow. You need to grow. You need to get stronger. As a Christian, 
if we are going to see revival in our community, let alone in America, Christians have to get growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to go to a world that is dying and on the fast track to hell. We read further, he says, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do you get your senses exercised? You meditate in the word. You read it, you meditate in it, and you obey it. Okay? Read it, meditate in it, obey it. First church I pastored, I had a man write me a letter. I used Hebrews 10, 25 that day, and he said, you preachers, I always know that when it says you preachers, what's coming next is not flowery language. Okay? He said, you preachers. Don't you know that the word forsake means to leave altogether? And I hadn't said anything to him about it, but he says, I haven't left altogether God's house. I haven't left altogether going to church. And that was, he had some other things to say to me, but that was the main thing that he was trying to get across. So I said, well, I better go back to my Bible and do a little bit of a word study on that and send it back to him. And I did. I wrote out a word study on it. But he got it wrong to begin with because the word is not forsake. It's forsaking. Now, that I-N-G makes a big difference because it means there, not there. There, not there. There, not there. For some reason or another, he didn't answer that letter nor show up again. But what I'm saying is, is that forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, faith says that's true. But faith also says I'm going to be faithful to God's house because it's my testimony to the world. And secondly, because that's where I get fed to go out and reach others. I've heard people say, I don't have to be there at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night to be a good Christian. No, I, I believe there are people who go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night are not good Christians. But I think staying home doesn't make you a good Christian. But let me add to that. Let's be biblical about it. What happened in church, Acts chapter 2? Throughout the New Testament, for several hundred years of church history, they met daily. Somebody came up with the idea we don't need to meet daily and now we have a world that has gone wild. Now we have churches that are looking like the world. And you look at them, you see more of the nightclub than you do see of the holy God that we serve. What does that mean? Second Corinthians chapter, uh, Second Timothy chapter uh, three, verse uh, sixteen through chapter four, verse four. He says, "Preach the word." You know, a lot of people want you to tone down the word. Do you think John the Baptist toned down the word? Now, multitudes. He didn't build a church in the center of Jerusalem, and multitudes come to him. He was out in the desert, and multitudes were coming out to the desert where he was. And when they got there, he spoke to them in such nice words. You generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the judgment to come? Wow. 
he, he began to name their sin. And it didn't change regardless of who the person was. Herod comes and he's in adultery with that lady and he says, uh, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. What in the world are you going to do? Well, as bad as that seems to a lot of people today, he named sin and he, he, he embarrassed people publicly by preaching that way and so forth. What does the Lord think of that? Well, the Lord said there's not a greater among men that was born than John the Baptist. Wow. He preached it. He lived it. Now, I don't know about Herod, but I do know about John the Baptist from what I read in the Bible. And I think the last 2,000 years have been a whole lot better for John the Baptist than it was for Herod, who lived as a king and lived in luxury. I think that he would have changed whatever years he lived. If he lived to be 100 years old, he'd change those 100 years for the last 1,900 years that he's lived in. Oh, my friend, that's the way revival is going to come to America when we have people that are called Baptists will be Baptists and take a stand and begin to say, okay, there is a difference between the world and between us. There is a difference. There's a difference between spiritual knowledge and, and academic knowledge. Look, you'll hear of moral failures on the news. You'll hear of it in, in the town that you live, and uh, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's some servant of the Lord in the church. Usually the first thing we want to do is jump on it and kick them while they're down. But often, we do that because it makes us feel good about our unfaithful and worldly ways that we're living. But let me tell you something. Romans fourteen twelve says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God. Everyone, everyone, everyone will give an account of himself unto God. The Bible gives you that knowledge. If you're saved, you're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, To receive the things done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Other words, saved so as by fire, or well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in few things, I'll make thee rule over many. But it's, it's going to be one way or the other. One way or the other. We will give an account of ourselves unto God. But so too will the unsaved. That guy says that I'm an atheist, what do you think of that? He's also going to give an account of himself unto God. That guy that lives in immorality and says, so what, I'm having fun, you're not, ha ha. <clears throat> He's going to give an account of himself unto God. Sometimes you'll read in the paper, this guy, that guy is the richest man in the world. I believe one time it was Rockefeller who's no longer in this world. But he'll give an account of himself unto God. Each of us will give an account of ourselves unto God. You're saved. Part of that did I add to my faith? Virtue. Moral excellence. Did I add to moral excellence? 
the knowledge of God, getting in His Word, meditating on it, obeying it. Did I add what God wanted me to add to my life? You see, there are all kinds of excuses out there. And we can look at other people and their failures and say, see? But understand, other people's failures will not stand for you at the judgment when you stand before God. Every man gives an account of himself unto God. Now, I've seen people very well educated. They can really deceive you. The Pharisees were that. They were very well educated. They got, kind of got upset with Jesus because they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and all these rabbinical writings from 300 years ago, and they said this, and they said that. Jesus came up there just saying, but I say unto you, I say unto you, I say unto you. Even when Satan come at him, he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. The Bible is the word of God, and that is the very rule book for life. That is what you and I have to base our lives on if we name the name of Christ. That's our book. That's our method of operation is through the word of God, not through any kind of a company that tells us how to do it today. The culture doesn't determine our Christianity. The word of God does. And that's the bottom line on it. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verses 12 through 14, he says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you read there, he says, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. He lets us know that there's a difference between the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of God. That we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. There are things God has for you that you don't, haven't gone to because you don't know His Word because you won't get into His Word. Well, I'll get it. You're going to get it for an hour. Look, let's just say that you go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Let's just say you have three hours a week. Is that all your children need to go th- all the way from s- kindergarten through the twelfth grade? Is three hours a week? Oh, why do we expect God to accept things? That the world knows a fat lie. God's not deceived. Not deceived by anything. The only ones that get deceived are ourselves. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself at all. Look, I'm saying all this. It might sound hard, but I'm try- trying to tell you is that this country needs revival. And we have no promise of tomorrow. We need to do our part. So you walk in the Spirit as He is in the Spirit. And He begins to reveal to you spiritual things. He says comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, Scripture with Scripture rather than Scripture with carnality. Scripture with culture. Scripture with all that which is in this world today. No, Scripture with Scripture. It's still right. It still works. And so... We need to grow in the knowledge of God. We need to know Him. We need to know Him intimately. And my friend, we also need to know this. As Christians, I know, I know, and look, we get it, we get it all the time, so I know this. 
there, there are churches out there that you go to them, they've got the strobe lights, they've got the uh, ceilings all blacked out, and then they've got uh, all this noise and it's very loud. They got that. There are other churches that they don't have that, but they won't name sin. They won't tell us what we're supposed to do. They just want us to feel good about ourselves. It was about myself that I realized I needed to be saved. And see, we're trying to get church to be relevant today so that the world will come. I'm going to be judged by that book. That's the relevance. So when the world sees me, and they see more of the world than they see Jesus, then I have messed up. And guess who I'm going to give an account to? Not the world, to Jesus. Now, Christian, I've gone all this way on this thing of knowledge because one day, the old invitation song that we sing, I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, now I'm coming home. But see, for you and I, we've got to come home to righteousness, to holiness, to what the book has designed for us to do and to live for that testimony, to reach this unsaved, hell-bound world to Christ. Christians have to come back and get right with God. We've got to get to the point where the world sees not another Jesus, but the holy Jesus of the Bible in us. Then there's a difference. But also let me say this. The first thing you have to do is make sure that first step that we started back in verse 5, faith. You cannot add virtue and you cannot add knowledge until faith is your life. Till you have received Christ by faith. You can't pay for it, as we said at the beginning. You can't earn it. The only way is through Jesus Christ. And Christ alone. So if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to admit, I'm a sinner that deserves to go to hell. There's not a person in this auditorium that had to admit, uh, could just overlook that and say, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't deserve hell. No, everyone, if you're saved, you had to come to that appointment, that, that understanding. I deserve to go to the eternal lake of fire. And then you had to realize that your good works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us so you don't go to heaven by your good works not by works of righteousness which we have done for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift and not earned it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast but God wants to save you that's why he said whosoever will The only thing that keeps you from salvation and eternal life is yourself. It's not me. It's not this church. 
It's not your family. It's not some friend. It's not some bad Christian that fell. You're the one that has to make the decision. You're the one that has to say, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I want to be saved. If the hypocrites at church bother you, then why in the world would you go to hell with them? Now, my friend, Jesus died for you, but you're going to have a day when it's the last breath. But consider this. He that continually hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, Proverbs 29.1. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, then, friend, I want to tell you, God wants to save you. That's the great thing. All this that I've named today, these things that we've said today, some of these things may have seemed hard, but here's a great thing about it. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's eternal life of salvation. You just come to him, and he'll save you. Let's bow our heads, please.